Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is Randy Brown from Barnes & Thornburg. Randy, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here, Anthony. Well, you and I are former co-workers <laughs> for a blip on the radar screen of time. I worked at B&T back in, I think it was 2003. So how are things at the firm these days, and, and how are you doing in the role of managing partner of Barnes & Thornburg? No change at all since 2003, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, it, it's um, that seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah, the uh, the firm itself has grown substantially uh, since then. When you were with us, we were still pretty much an Indiana-based law firm. Correct. I think we'd had a Chicago office, relatively young, in its uh, in its stages. Yep. Since then, we've gone from five Indiana offices and 200 lawyers to 19 offices and 650 lawyers yeah. firm-wide. Well, that's impressive, and now, yeah. coast-to-coast, coast, yeah. as opposed to just Midwest-based. Yeah, I think the big news when I was there was that Grand Rapids had opened up. So, you know, still one of your offices, but uh, a lot more has happened since then, and we'll get into all that. It loved the Grand Rapids office, but some more exotic sites since then. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for joining us. And, and as you know, um, on this podcast, we talk about a few different things. And, and you're a little bit of an outlier in ways that I think will be really interesting because we generally talk to individuals who are full-time in marketing, but you have a lot of other responsibilities. And one of the things I think will be interesting is hearing not just about your background, but also about some of the pros and cons of trying to market a, a law firm and, and attorneys because of some of the regulatory environment, some other challenges. But we usually start with a discussion of career path. And I'd like to hear a little bit about, you went to Manchester University and then the IU um, Law School. Um, so I'd like to hear a little bit about how you got into that. Why did you decide on law as a career? Is that something you always knew or did you discover it later? And um, Take us from, you know, when you were considering career paths, how you ended up at Manchester, and then where you went from there. Sure. I never knew a lawyer growing up. Um, the first lawyer I met was a law professor in law school. Okay. Um, and I, um, Indiana Hoosier farm boy, um, mm -hmm. first generation going to college, uh, but was in my senior year of high school, knowing I was going to college, but having mm -hmm. no clue what I was going to do, yeah. was in the midst of an argument uh, with my <laughs> uh, senior English uh, teacher, uh -huh. Mrs. Eddy. She was just a gem. Uh, and, <laughs> and what uh, high school was this? Prairie Heights High School okay. up in uh, the Stabend County, LaGrange yeah. County okay. uh, line. Uh, rural school. Yeah. Uh, and um, not all of us went on to college. Sure, um, sure. But I had a teacher that took an interest in me, well, a number of teachers, but Mrs. Eddy, for one, in the midst of one of our arguments about something in class, yeah. says, Randy, you are going on to law school, right? <laughs> Given your um, both tendency and uh, ability to argue. Yeah. And that was the prompt. Huh. That's, Interesting. That, that's what led me to start looking into it. Uh, and so for me, Manchester... Um, was the the best place to go? I you know I didn't apply to too many schools. I mm -hmm. sort of went an easy route in that I had two older siblings that were there. Yep. 
And at the time, it was one of two schools that recruited me to play football. Aha, okay. Uh, So um, that was um, how and why I ended up in Manchester. Yeah. Majored in poli-sci, which is consistent with law school, because what else are you going to do with a (laughs) poli-sci major? (laughs) Sure. But but to go on to law school. Sure. So did you play football all four years? I played one year. One year, okay. One year and realized that at that point, I was a step too slow for even uh, NAIA football. Uh Aha. Humbling experience, but still loved it as well. Sure. And what, what position? Uh, I was a running back and defensive back. Okay. Um, and they got to, to college and they wanted me just focus on defensive back. Yeah. Well, both positions that require probably more speed than you and I have combined. It, so, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> now, if we want to run distance, you know, we're good with that. Well, right? I was never fast, but I could go forever. And, you know, you're, you're the same way. Exactly. So, um, so you, you then you're at Manchester. Tell us what that experience was like and how that got you on the path towards law school. I... Um, Oh, my career, uh, actually, to Manchester. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, first generation, um, going on to experience things in college that I'd never experienced growing up in mm-hmm. a uh, lower-income farming family. Mm-hmm. Got there and was exposed to just a rich um, uh, group of professors, um, a diverse group of students, mm-hmm. a diverse um, diversity of thought, mm-hmm. and it just inspired me uh, to to do more, mm-hmm. more than what I had experienced um, growing up or around sure. me. So um, that um, uh, Manchester has a, uh, a mission statement. They they um, the, 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 the they value the infinite worth of every individual, mm-hmm. um, and I was one of those that they mm-hmm. took an interest in me yeah. and had great, um, not only just in the, the political science, but I minored in business and just got a feel for what was out there. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I give back to the university. I've been on their board. I, I love it for what it did for me. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about that because I'm curious from a personal perspective. I've served on the Indiana Tech Board of Trustees for the past couple of years. It's been a great experience. And uh, you know, one of the things I've said is that serving on that board has been a lesson in learning what I don't know about higher education in Indiana Tech. What's your experience been like as a board member from Manchester? Uh, this very similar. Mm-hmm. At the outset, wow, there's a lot going on here that I just um, am really unaware of. Yeah. But I served a total of 13 years on the board. The last three as chair of the board. Okay. And through uh, different opportunities, uh, through ICI, Independent Colleges of Indiana, mm-hmm. and other seminars, just immersed myself into the business of higher ed yeah. and have, have learned that um, it's a tough market. It's oh, yeah. a tough industry, yeah. even tougher today than, than when I got into it years ago. And um, innovation um, and dedication to mission are the things that are going to allow the liberal arts colleges to survive. Uh, Manchester, um, during my tenure there as on the board, showed lots of innovation. We had mm-hmm. great leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we opened up the uh, College of Pharmacy mm-hmm. here in Fort Wayne at, up at uh, uh, the Parkview campus. Yep. It was just a game changer. Yeah. So it was being able to, as a university, recognize your strengths, but also recognize your strengths in terms of really... Uh, teaching and growing and, and, and really motivating students, it's not really a high-income sort of. Yeah, sure, <laughs> so, sure. So coming up with 
other um, ancillary, um, and, and with a College of Pharmacy being one of those, a, a yeah. means of really supporting the undergraduate programs. Yeah, and they just introduced some nursing programs, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Correct. Health sciences, of course, is the way to go. Yep. So with pharmacy, pharmacogenomics, and now nursing, they're really kind of all in on that front. Yeah, well, I'm a big Dave McFadden fan. <laughs> I haven't seen Dave in a long time, but I think he's done some great things and is just a, a, a great guy, very accessible and a, a great leader for that institution. Absolutely. And I'll, I take some pride. I chaired the uh, committee that brought Dave Aha, okay. as president. <laughs> His only downside was he was a Dodgers fan and not a coach fan. <laughs> well, glad you didn't hold that against him. Yep. So we digress there for a little bit in a healthy way and I often take our guests on winding paths, but I want to come back to um, your experience in school at Indiana University. Tell us, why'd you pick IU and what was your experience like there? So graduating from um, undergrad in-state, recognizing that I wanted to practice law in-state, IU Indianapolis, IU Bloomington, now one's the Maurer School and one's the McKinney School. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really just the way to go. Mm-hmm. And and so for me, and at the time, the circumstances were such that Indianapolis was just the right place to yep. be. Uh, and they have a, maybe a, a, a better, uh, not necessarily, well, more placement in-state. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you want to practice sure. in Indiana, IU Indy is just the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that makes you unique among our guests is, if I'm not mistaken, you've worked at one place for 30 years, your entire career. And am I missing anything there? Any any gaps in the employment other than maybe jobs you had in high school and college? But is that the one place you've it, been? It, it is. I'm a B&T lifer. Uh, All right. Started as a summer associate, part-time job in the summer as yeah. a clerk. Uh, and then started full-time in uh, August of 1990. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it'll be, what, 31 years here okay. coming up this summer. That's impressive. That's impressive. Most of the guests on this on this podcast have had multiple jobs, many even multiple careers. So it's rare I get to talk to someone <laughs> who's been in the same place. Um, you mentioned some of the ways that Barnes & Thornburg has changed. But tell me just at a very high level, what does the firm do? What does it specialize in? What do you think makes it different? So Barnes & Thornburg is one of the 75 largest firms in the country, mm-hmm. uh, with still headquartered primarily in Indiana, but of course offices all over. We offer a value proposition mm-hmm. for clients across the country, and that is Midwest rates, Midwest values mm-hmm. might be sometimes overused phrase, but we're able to take on any sophisticated engagement, but do it in a way that is very... Um, cost-effective mm-hmm. for our clients. And it's not just hourly rates. Hourly mm-hmm. rates are important. Sure. Um, but it's also the, our approach to um, staffing matters. Mm-hmm. As a trial lawyer, I have lean trial teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll be lead counsel. I'll have a chief lieutenant. I'll have an associate and a paralegal. And we find ourselves oftentimes up against trial teams with 10, 12, 15 lawyers. Sure. So, and just simple math says... That client, that firm's client, is paying a lot more than uh, than our client is paying. Yeah. And we found that with smaller, lean teams, with everybody fully engaged and knowing all the issues, it's sort of a seamless, great approach. Sure. So efficiencies that maybe you wouldn't find at other firms. That very much the key. Yes. Yeah. And and Barnes and Thornburg, and I'm I'm going to test my memory, and my memory isn't that good, but it, it's it's legacy, it's it's birthplace, if you will was Indiana, I think specifically Fort Wayne and South Bend, is that correct? Indianapolis and South Bend. Okay, all right, okay. 
and, and that firm was one of the early mergers in 1981 or 82, okay. a kind of silver stocking but small Indianapolis firm mm-hmm. with the, kind of the biggest player in town in South Bend, yep. decided their practice was at the same level of sophistication. They were serving similar clients, in some instances the same clients, and the thought was then, which is sort of prevailed throughout, there's a size, there's a mass that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And and that merger uh, really um, is what has driven, you know, the success of the firm. And, you know, we proved that we were able to, you know, merge at that time equals and uh, turn it into something even better yet. Sure. So a little bit early in the game with, with mergers. And and tell me a little bit, why has that become so commonplace in in the industry and among law firms where you're seeing more and more mergers? What's, what's driving that? I don't know that the current drive or focus is based upon sort of what was happening back mm-hmm. when, when we started it in the 80s. There is, um, among some firms now, this notion that you have to fight for the largest of engagements mm-hmm. and to be able to put yourself in a position to get those engagements, you need to show the bench strength. Mm-hmm. You need to show that you've got, you know, not 600 lawyers, but you've sure. got 1,500 lawyers sure. and um, you are essentially telling the, the rest of the potential clients Many of you were not interested in. We're yeah. only interested in sure. the billion-dollar cases, the billion-dollar M and A deals, and um, and and so I, I don't see us ever being part of a, a merger of equals, even mm-hmm. though that's how we were formed. Sure, because um, we've got sort of a sweet spot in terms of client base mm-hmm. uh, that can be still local Fort Wayne companies that we've served for thirty years sure. and love. Um, mid-sized, um, maybe uh, smaller publicly traded companies that um, aren't going to be out hiring the $1,000 sure. um, an hour lawyers, but want great service. So sure. we feel it really opens up for us the um, the client base that is um, sustaining, that, it, that will allow us to keep doing all the good things we're doing. That said, we won't turn down the billion-dollar sure. engagement, sure. the billion-dollar sure. lawsuit. We've had them. We've done yeah. them. But we're not going to take those to the exclusion of the, the you know, the, the small company, manufacturing company serving the uh, auto industry here in sure. town. Sure. We like their business. We'll do good work for them. Yeah. So, so you play a dual role, at least a dual role, because you're a practicing attorney, but then you're a managing partner, the managing the Fort Wayne office. Tell me a little bit about each of those two jobs and then how do you balance that? Because that's, that's a pretty tall order. Well, I'm happy to, but um, your facts are just a little off. It's actually four jobs. <laughs> okay. So um, practicing lawyer, which I've grown up and loved to do, we'll put that off to the side to start with. But in addition to um, acting as the managing partner of the Fort Wayne office, two years ago, I took on the role as um, chair of our litigation department, okay. firm-wide. Uh, and then I also serve on our firm-wide management committee. Okay. So those three um, managerial roles combined take up probably about 60% of my time mm-hmm. um, with about 40% left um, doing the work I really love, sure, uh, serving, sure, serving sure. clients. Yeah. I, I say that um, somewhat tongue-in-cheek because yeah. I wouldn't be doing the managing role if I didn't like it, sure. if I didn't see value in it. I didn't think I was having a positive influence sure. on folks. Um, but so managing the office um, is um, it, it, it's, it's a, 
a, a daily um, job that really um, keeps me connected mm-hmm. with the, the talent in Fort Wayne, keeps me connected uh, with the client base in Fort Wayne. And it's really one of being an advocate for the office and the community in a bigger firm. Sure. Um, and, and then sitting on the management committee allows me to essentially be the an advocate for Fort Wayne. And what, what I love about all of these positions um, and being on the management committee and then taking on this role as chair of the litigation department that's the largest department in the firm, mm-hmm. 200 lawyers across all offices mm-hmm. reporting up to me, and I'm sitting in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Yeah. You know, of our 19 offices, it is the second smallest community that we're in. Okay. And the firm um, hasn't held that against me or any of my partners, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, 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 if you can do the job, and you're good at it, yeah. the firm's going to put you in that position. And, and we're actually blessed in Fort Wayne to have three of us having um, actual firm-wide positions. Uh-huh. Um, so Dawn Roseman, yep. whom you know is our diversity and inclusion director, yeah. firm-wide. Yeah. Uh, Savannah Robinson, whom you know yes. is our um, legal personnel administration okay. director, chief talent officer, firm-wide. Yeah. So all of that happening in Fort Wayne, I think, is a, is a good testament to the to the community and to the office. Well, and you've got, and I say this very genuinely, just a powerhouse team yeah. in Fort Wayne. Ha- having worked with some of those folks and gotten to know them over the years, it's astounding to me how much talent yeah. there is in that office. So, you know, if anything, you can you can be sure that, you know, the trains are running on time <laughs> even when you're not there. Um, tell us a little bit about, about the team in Fort Wayne and, and what you're especially proud of because, you know, as you mentioned, one of the downsides of taking more of a management role is you spend less time getting your hands dirty, so to speak, but you also have the ability to impact people in a different way. So tell me a little bit about what you've seen during your time as managing partner in terms of that influence you've been able to have and, and what you're most proud of there. I would say that the the office underwent a fairly significant transition where uh, when I first joined the firm um, into the late 90s, early 2000s, we were very much a um, corporate business-centered um, office. And we, with some retirements and transitions, we found ourselves um, with a solid and good corporate practice, but not as robust. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the labor and employment group, the intellectual property group, mm-hmm. um, and, and then the litigation group, we all ho- sort of had to step forward mm-hmm. and really um, make an impact while we were also doing the same within a smaller corporate mm-hmm. group. So getting that, um, the, the face of the office or the persona of the office uh, being distributed among these groups as opposed to just one actually has been a very positive thing for us. Yeah. And kind of tying into the overall marketing topic, our departments all cross-sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a good labor and employment client yep. that um, the labor and employment lawyers, they're hard chargers. They know that, boy, it'd be great to also get that company's next M&A deal. Yeah. Or if they have a piece of commercial litigation, let's plug Randy or Elizabeth Underwood in. Yep. So it's, it's just a, a mentality among the, the, the lawyers of let's, let's grow the pie, mm-hmm. let's, let's work together. Sure. And, and that's when I stepped into the role, um, one of the, the, I sort of had two main uh, goals. And one was being then the smallest office in the larger firm mm-hmm. to say, all right, we're not going to be the squeaky wheel. Yeah, we're sure. going to put our, 
our, our nose to the grindstone. Yep. We're going to work hard. Yeah. Um, and, and we're going to be profitable. So nobody mm-hmm. ever asks yeah. what's up sure. in Fort Wayne. Sure. And then we're going to hit the streets and market, hit mm-hmm. the streets and develop business and just get our individual brands and the, the larger firm brand out there and emphasized. And I would say, given that 2020 was the most successful year in the mm-hmm. history of the office yeah. during a pandemic, yeah. we've done pretty well. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I, I wasn't aware of that, but that's that's a testament to the, the folks in Fort Wayne and, and your work for sure. So, so this is where I want to dig in a little bit because it's fascinating to me, having done very little bit of work in, in that field in, in marketing a law firm, it's very different than a lot of other industries in, in a number of different ways because you have you know, standards that dictate what you can and can't do. It's obviously a very serious business. Tell us a little bit about how do you market with some of those limitations and how do you turn some of those challenges into strengths for your firm and for the Fort Wayne office? I'll begin with the biggest challenge um, marketing law firms is lawyers. Um, we're not all but largely sort of that type a personality um and we're oftentimes great um tacticians great technical we we know the law inside Mm -hmm. and out but you put us in a room um trying to woo a client and it's you know people just don't naturally have that or not all lawyers have that talent so so getting Lawyers acclimated to business development, yeah, uh, and that's something that, you know, years ago you just never worried about. It's just lockstep. Eventually, you'd be handed a practice. Yeah, no, no. Now, now we look at sure. people early on and say, do they have that mm-hmm. um, that that knack for the gift of gab? As I say, can yep. can they get out and spend time with people and sure. and make uh, make themselves heard and known and seen and all of that? So that's challenge one. Is just. Mm-hmm. You're marketing lawyers who just aren't really good at this in the first place. You're helping them. Second, as you note, um, there are lots of things that we can't say Mm -hmm. when we are marketing ourselves. Uh, We have ethical constraints that that will prevent us from guaranteeing results, Mm -hmm. that will prevent us from proclaiming a particular specialty unless we actually have a license in that area. Sure. You can't claim to be a specialist in in patents. unless you sat for and passed the patent bar. Sure. Um, lots of different examples like that that really um, puts a burden on our internal marketing team mm-hmm. because all the great stuff that they create for us that we look at and say, oh, that's wonderful, has to be then vetted mm-hmm. by our professional responsibility committee. Yeah. And invariably, uh, they will come back and say, nope, can't say that, or let's tweak it this way. Yeah. Um, it, it, so there's, as you say, layers of um, regulations that uh, limit what we can do. Sure. Well, and things as as commonplace as testimonials, you know, which drive so much of the marketing in so many industries are, you know, in many cases frowned upon in, in your profession. So they take away one of the arrows in your quiver right away. But, but lawyers are good at um, coming up with creative solutions. Sure, sure. And the, um, the industry at large, um, if you look at all of the different rating services for lawyers, you've got super lawyers, you've mm-hmm. got best lawyers, you've got all, multiple different iterations, yeah. and they have uh, processes whereby they will um, talk to your client and then solicit for you 
in effect, the testimonial. Sure, uh, sure. So it's, uh, we, we do it, but just in a really odd way. Yeah, so, so tell me a little bit about how you're marketing, how, how the firm, how the office is marketing itself these days. What are some of the, ta- not, not without giving away too many trade secrets, but what are you doing today that you think is working in terms of getting out there, making your uh, attorneys well-known and well-respected and keeping the name in front of people? What are some of the things that, that are happening at Barnes & Thornburg? So we have the firm-wide marketing department that is, it's probably three times as large as when you were uh, yeah. with us, if, and maybe even more so, that is uh, responsible at the um, kind of 100,000-foot level for the overall marketing strategy, the overall look and feel, um, and, and the the broad sort of brand and reputation management um, through the website and through um, um, our print ads and through our responding to RFPs and things mm-hmm. of that nature. So that group is, is a, a well-run, um, uh, execute things nicely, and um, I think we are in a good position uh, with that overarching leadership. Um, we also then have at each at the office level, uh, we've we've made great strides in trying to be to to tout individuals within the office mm-hmm. um, through social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd say we've we, we've we've upped our game. Mm-hmm. Um, in that regard, sure. but we've got more strides to make, sure. you know, through the the, the, the LinkedIn and mm-hmm. the uh, Instagram mm-hmm. and the, the so there's there's a there are a lot of things that we're doing and we're always looking for our, what's the what's the next best way yeah. of, of getting that brand out there. Sure. And then, as you know, lawyers the the best marketing for a lawyer is the lawyer's reputation. Mm-hmm. And then the lawyer's individual brand mm-hmm. and the relationships that the lawyers are yep. able to forge. Yep. So having a, a, a group of or a marketing department that recognizes that mm-hmm. is just a really, really good thing. Yeah, well, and, and providing some latitude for the professionals to join boards that align with their passions and to, you know, come up with ideas for in a pre-COVID and post-COVID world, getting in the same room with people who they can, you know, build relationships with is critical. And and that's the tried and true approach mm-hmm. that, that you remember from way back that we continue to do. And part of that is the, the, the benefit that comes from it in terms of connections and contacts that that's great, mm-hmm. right? I mean, but we're we're not necessarily doing it for that. Sure. Um, we instill in all our lawyers. You know, we're professionals. We're blessed to be in the positions that we're in, yep. and we're big parts of the community. So, what can we do to give back? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, you don't just get placed on a board. Mm-hmm. You do some investigation. Mm-hmm. You do some volunteer work. Yep. What is your passion? And then once you're on that board, for a, a newer lawyer in the office. Our position as the as the office and the firm is, we're going to support you. Mm-hmm. So, that that the table at that event, the yep. sponsorship for, um, yeah, we're all in in that regard, supporting the organizations that our lawyers are involved in, and then benefit does come from that. Yep. But it's never a, you don't you don't you never get an engagement from sure. your client from sure. it. Sure. But you serve on that board for a while, then you're on the executive committee and, and you're mm-hmm. you're rubbing elbows and meeting with lots of executives and others in the community that see how you interact with folks. Sure. They see sure. you know what value you bring and they think, ah, 
I, I ought to give that lawyer a call. Yeah, yeah, but it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. You're exactly it sounds right. like you do it for the right reason, and if there's any marketing benefit to it, that's kind of a bonus. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, great. So um, the the next question I want to ask you, and obviously you can only share so much, but you've got your position as the chair of the Manchester Board of Trustees. You have your four jobs at, at B&T. What are some of the things that are taking up the majority of your time, your mental energy, that are keeping you up at night, that excite you? Maybe all of those things combined that you can talk about. What are some of the projects that are at the top of your list right now? I'll begin with uh, the Manchester. So I, I did cycle off the board mm-hmm. as chair, but I'm sort of a glutton for punishment. I've, <laughs> I've, I've been asked to chair um, our newest capital campaign. Aha, uh-huh. okay. And, uh, and, and so in that role, we are actively in the early stages. Yep. Um, it, it's one of those, we haven't gone public, but everybody knows we're doing sure, it, so there's no, sure. no issue the here. The quiet phase that's the not qu- so quiet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and just working with a great team of professionals at Manchester mm-hmm. and then a great group of volunteers, mostly alums, but we're all working together. Just we've got another bold goal out there mm-hmm. and raising money during a pandemic you'd think would be difficult, but because we have such a great mission mm-hmm. uh, to sell, yeah. we're, we're already we're, we're ahead of our goal um, at this point in time. And so that's been well, it's, it's my side business. You yeah, know, I, I, sure. It's just been a, a wonderful experience. Sure. Uh, and then at the firm, from a management perspective, one of the most exciting things we've got going on right now is um, it's actually a survey. Mm-hmm. I think, all right, survey. Mm-hmm. Um, we engaged a vendor um, who has a really robust um, survey um, uh, uh, program package um, and delivery system that looks at um, employee engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we've got the f- first results back. And uh, one of my partners works with me in our Indianapolis uh, um, office in the litigation department. He's a geek for, for data. Sure. And he's got me excited as we're pouring through all of this data to see both for the department and then also then separately for the office. Mm-hmm. What are the, the drivers for satisfaction or dissatisfaction? Mm-hmm. Um, and once you've identified those, those drivers that, that, that we need help in, now let's put an action plan together. Yeah. So the firm recognizing that I mean, the employees are the lifeblood. Sure. So let's figure out how to get them as engaged as can be, especially it's still in the middle of a pandemic when how often, I mean, all of us have felt so disengaged yeah. at times that yeah. you just have, you wonder what what's life like before. So we're making a concerted effort now, which is a pretty exciting project. No, that sounds great. And, you know, I applaud you for taking that on because I think it's one of those things organizations can be really complacent about, Mm -hmm. but especially for an entity like a law firm, your product is your talent. That's it. And you invest a lot in people when they're getting started in their careers. And if you lose someone, you know, five, seven, ten years in, that's a pretty big loss. That's exactly right. Yeah. So yeah. so let's uh, let's keep them happy. Yeah, keep for sure. Engaged. For sure. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that um, is is been a, a true downside. A lot of, obviously, challenges have come with the pandemic, but the the erosion of company culture and organizational culture is something that we're going to have to win back. I think almost every organization is going to have to figure out how do we go forward in this new sort of hybrid environment. Agree completely. And and we're all learning every mm-hmm. step of the way. I mean, we're finding that there are a significant number of of, um, of employees that actually love working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
are we going to upset that apple cart? Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, but we also recognize the value in having people together. Yeah, uh, sure. And and just, I mean, I'm sure in your in your line of business, just the 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 creative thought coming yeah. from people sitting around a table with a whiteboard. Yeah, you know, it, sure. You, you need that too. So it, we're trying to strike that right balance when it's time to kind of fully open as well. Yeah, well, it sounds like the timing is great for getting that feedback and, and doing something with it. So um, you've got the capital campaign for Manchester. You've got the employee engagement study. What else is on your plate? What other things are, are consequential in your work life right now? So one of the niche areas of the practice that I've carved out over the years is intellectual property mm-hmm. litigation. Mm-hmm. So I do Lots of just general commercial litigation, mm-hmm. class action defense, contract disputes, shareholder disputes. I, mm-hmm. I kind of, whatever gets you into court. Sure. Not whatever, but <laughs> whatever gets right you into side. federal yeah. court, yeah. Um, that, yeah. you know, I, I, I jump in and do. But, the, but patent infringement litigation uh-huh. yeah. um, has been um, the, 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 really the best part of my career professionally has been those patent cases that I've really sunk my teeth into. Um, I'm not a patent lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not an engineer. I mm-hmm. tell people, you know, I've got one of the, the a hard science degree, that political science, you yeah. know, and the, and the engineers <laughs> yeah. laugh at that. Yeah. Uh, but what I've been able to do, and it's sort of my shtick, I, I'm, I'm the Hoosier farm boy that's a quick study on technology. Yep. And so the engineers get me up to speed on the technology, mm-hmm. and then I'm able to relate uh, to sure. a judge or to a jury. So I've got uh, um, two patent cases going on right now mm-hmm. that um, that are really... I mean, they're just, they're fun cases. Mm-hmm. Both of them, I'm, um, I'm defending alleged infringers. I've, mm-hmm. I've represented uh, patent owners multiple times sure. and love that as well. Uh, so one's a bet the company case for mm-hmm. our client that's mm-hmm. pending out on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm up against some big firms out there mm-hmm. and we're you know, kind of developing the strategy to show that the patents are invalid. Yeah. The others just started um, and locally filed mm-hmm. with a longstanding client of ours that... Uh, and you know, we're looking at saying we got some good defenses here. Yeah. So just developing the defenses, developing the strategy, putting the team together mm-hmm. is all pretty fun stuff for me. Yeah. Well, and it's it's high risk. You know, when you talk about those bet the company strategies, uh, you know, that's something that I still don't have nearly the appreciation that people who work in the field do. But having dipped my toe into that world, you realize that there's a lot. It's kind of an understatement to say there's a lot, a lot at stake with the cases that you're you're working on. Yeah, exactly. And I think the the former jock, I like the adrenaline rush. Yeah, sure. Um, and and I like the uh, especially the courtroom itself is yeah. uh, it's to me it's uh, it's the best part. Literally, the best part of what I do is arguing or doing a closing argument or a cross-examination in front of a jury. It's just exhilarating. Well, and you have a pretty clear scorecard at the end of the day, for yes. better or for worse. Yes, you do. Well, Randy, one of the things we do now that we've we've heard you know, the, the whole story, or at least most of the story, is we do some quick hit questions that kind of synthesize what we've talked about. Um, so the first thing I want to hear, again, with you being unique and, and having a long career with one organization. What's your best career advice? What do you think it takes for someone to build a successful career to ultimately be fulfilled in their career? What has stood out to you over the years? Hard work. Mm-hmm. That was the, that's what started my career that uh, made me known to mm-hmm. um, other lawyers, other partners and other offices of the firm. Mm-hmm. This lawyer is, is, is working it. Yep. Uh, and then couple that, of course, with um, 
a willingness to jump in, mm-hmm. to, to sort of be fearless, um, take on a new engagement, take on a new matter, and just that I can do this. Yeah. Uh, and, and so hard work and then attitude, yeah. I mean, are, are, are get you um, uh, there probably 75, 80% of the way. Yeah. Um, but then along the way, again, this is just more life advice, and that is, hey, be respectful. Mm-hmm. Um, know that your reputation is everything and mm-hmm. don't develop a bad one. Yeah. Because that's, as a, so a, 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 in, the, in the service industry, mm-hmm. literally your reputation is everything. And if you've got the reputation of being a bad lawyer mm-hmm. or a toe-the-line yeah. lawyer sure. or um, a, a, a way too expensive. I mean, there's all mm-hmm. sorts of labels yeah. that could be sure. attributed based on something that happened 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So don't let that happen. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, and you've had the opportunity to observe some very successful, very driven mm-hmm. people. I'm going to ask you a philosophical question. And it's, it's kind of not fair because I didn't prep you for this one, but I'm, I'm interested because I've been having a lot of conversations about it. You know, people talk about things like, hard work and and you know the the attitude you bring to work and I'm, I'm interested in this as a byproduct of the study you're doing do you think those things can be taught or is it just something that people have innately that ability to work hard that desire to work hard bringing the right attitude to work or can people be taught to you know if they didn't get off to a great start as professionals can they be taught to 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 acquire those skills if you will 20 years ago, my answer would be it, it's you either have it or you don't. Yeah. Uh, but as I've grown more into the managerial roles and see folks that um, need a little extra guidance, mm-hmm. a little extra tutelage, um, and what I'm finding, observing, and, and now know for a fact that, yes, many of the traits can be taught. Mm-hmm. I mean, hard work. That's an easy one, right? Yeah, it's sure. just, um, and, and, and when you look at it from the perspective of, if I want to continue in this path, mm-hmm. I have to do X, yep. people are, are going to be motivated to do X. Sure. Even something as simple as, you know, performance improvement plans mm-hmm. that happen in cross-corporate America, yep. there are people that will point to um, the time they were put on a PIP, mm-hmm. you know, six years into their career and say, that was what led me to where I am today. Yeah, I was scared. Mm-hmm. It was eye-opening, yeah. and I changed. Yeah. So I'm I'm a firm believer of, of, of people can be trained. People can um, um, affect you know their their career path. There are some things that the, the, we mentioned earlier. The gift of gab. Mm-hmm. There are going to be some people that sure. just because of their uh, personality styles mm-hmm. and um, their um, just who they are, they may not be the best persons to go out and generate business. Yep. But they may be an expert in a in a particular field that the people that can generate business say, we've got the lawyer that knows this area inside and out, and you need to hire us because of that lawyer. Sure. So it, it, it's sort of win-win at that point. Yeah, it's putting together the, a team with, with all the strengths. Yeah. You, know, you need those analysts. You know, I, I'm a big believer in disk assessment, mm-hmm. and I happen to be a high D and a high I. So one of those people who probably has the gift of gab and who is quick to make a decision but is quick to make the wrong decision sometimes. So that's why I need the folks who are more analytical and a little bit more deliberate to balance that out. If I didn't have that, I'd get in trouble a lot more often. I had a, um, through Leadership Fort Wayne years mm-hmm. ago, um, we were doing, it was a learning style. Yeah. And um, and I was, and it, we all did the test, and then we would put our 
name up on this four quadrants. Mm-hmm. And I was the only one in this particular quadrant okay. um, that I was a reflective observer. Okay. Which right. is still true, yeah. but I've learned over the years to sort of hide that <laughs> sure. and, 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 and can, uh, can, can be a little out there at times. But the, the instructor uh, who was putting on this program you know, was, you know, was looking at this and sort of um, uh, just, just interested in mm-hmm. you know, this outlier. Yeah. And of course, she put on the program. She knew each of these categories. So, Randy, I mean, you're, you're, you're a reflective observer. I mean, tell us about that. What, I mean, the first person she calls on. Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Go yeah. around the room a little bit and, and come back to me in about 10 minutes. Yeah, and then so I'll I can observe and exactly. reflect. Yeah, 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 for sure. So the next question is, is a simple one, um, deceivingly simple, because it might actually be so simple that it's difficult. To sum up, you know, if somebody said, Barnes & Thornburg, what makes you special? What makes you different? Why you and not a, another firm? What might, might you say to that? Uh, we are always adapting, changing, and putting not only the best product forward, mm-hmm. uh, but also doing it in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just let me give you an example of a couple of things that we've got going on right now. I mean, again, we had a great year in the mm-hmm. middle of a pandemic. Sometimes yeah. feel a little embarrassed to say sure. we did well. Sure. But two of our largest or most important um, projects we're working on right now, in addition to this engagement, is um, our um, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have um, taken our DE&I program to the next level um, mm-hmm. over the course of the last four years, just recognizing yeah. that it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what our clients are looking yeah. for. And so, um, and, and, and we now have a, a program that is nurturing our diverse talent, um, ensuring their growth um, and movement up into the partnership. It's just a really neat thing. So, mm-hmm. um, and then couple that with, um, as we look at all the metrics that law firms are measured by, we've had a good pro bono program, mm-hmm. you know, providing legal services to indigent, poor, yep. prisoners, that sort of stuff. But it's just not as good as what it should be. Mm-hmm. So same thing, we're doubling down and making sure our pro bono um, uh, program is you know, second to none. So yeah. I think in addition to doing great work, we, we do the right thing. Yeah, well, that's great. And, and the former... The diversity, equity, and inclusion piece, I think you mentioned this, Dawn is leading that firm-wide. Exactly. And she is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, she is. Yeah. Um, she probably has done more podcasts maybe than you and I combined. Yeah, so she, I would imagine. She's out there I would yeah, imagine. Yeah. doing great things. Yeah, well, she's a, she's a great asset and just a, a, a great person. I love, love spending time with her. All right, last question. Y- you mentioned, you know, how... If you've had a good year, you might tend to have, you know, almost survivor's guilt of of being successful at a time when so many people aren't. And, you know, just, you know, I I came out of 2020 saying, hey, if I have my health, if my family has their health, and if I'm still getting a regular paycheck, I'm pretty lucky. Don't complain about anything else. But there's a lot of people who don't have those advantages. So, you know, what's your take on what it what it takes to be resilient and optimistic at a time when there's so many bad things going on? You know, a lot of times I focus this on marketers because, you know, there's downturn in the economy and, you know, challenges in getting your message across. But I want to take it more broadly. What have you learned about resilience over the past year plus, and, and what would you like to share with the audience? So I'm going to begin with a, a story that might sound a little trite, but um, I have, you know, two daughters, mm-hmm. grown now, married, yep. wonderful um, 
women um, who are off to an amazing start to their career. My, my youngest, Katie, um, would she would have nightmares mm-hmm. as a child. Yeah. And um, I just instilled in her this simple statement, think happy thoughts. Mm-hmm. And um, she actually has a tattoo now with that <laughs> on it because it, yeah. it, it, it's essentially it's, it's the, the mind over matter. It's yeah. the positivity. It's the I, I mean, I'm always been a glass half full mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. So and, and but not everybody's like that. Yeah, sure. Uh, but but to the extent you can um, think those happy thoughts, focus on the positive, focus on the good. Take a, what, what's negative that's coming at you, reframe it, mm-hmm. and, and find positive in it. And I think all of us during the course of the pandemic have had lots of opportunities to look at it and say, well, that is awful. Yeah. But now what are we going to do with it? Sure. Um, so the, the use of technology that we've all become accustomed yep. to, um, we're getting things done now more efficiently mm-hmm. than we ever did before. Yeah. Um, the, the Zoom meetings that you know, we all can joke about some of the, the, the odd circumstances yeah. that have occurred. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's going to be part of a professional services sure. firms forever. Sure. It, it adds value to clients. You, mm-hmm. you cut down on travel costs. I mean, yep. there's just lots of things that I think we're all going to look at and say, God, that time was awful, but but this was a good thing that came out of it. Yeah. Um, so resilience generally, um, you know, I, I think some of that comes with um, the, from an organizational standpoint, what, what are you grounded on in the first place? Mm-hmm. And um, are you, um, are, are, are you managed in a way that allows you to be more resilient. So, um, and I like to think we're managed in a really strong way in terms of um, conservative, um, not extending ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, and being able to plan for and yeah. address uncertainties. Yep. Um, and I, I think maybe another positive thing is all of us are going to be better the next time we deal with something like this. Because yeah. this is a once in a lifetime thing, but there's going to be another scare, another circumstance, another national disaster. There's going to be something that I think all of us will say, all right, we, we've got this. Yeah, we've all gotten a little bit more flexible in the last yes. year out of necessity, but that'll help us down the line. Well, and, and as a Cubs fan, you've certainly learned something about resilience <laughs> over the years. Oh, nice, nice. I say yes. that as a Red Sox fan, so <laughs> we've been lucky the last you know 15 years or so, but exactly. we're, we're back to where we started. Yes, so. uh, the two best stadiums in all of baseball, That's right. Fenway and Wrigley. That's right. We have that going for us, <laughs> nothing else. Well, Randy, thank you so much. It's great to catch up with you and to hear more about your story, and I'm sure the folks listening in enjoyed it equally as well. And thanks to all of you who took the time to listen. We'll be back next week with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then. 